Hello and welcome back, all of our bashers and other listeners, to another Shop Talk show. My name is Jason, player of Tam Westcrown from the Shield Bash podcast. I am joined by Christine Beard for another conversation about one of our uh, more meta-level topics of TTRPGs. Uh, Christine is from the Crack Die podcast, uh, another Paizoverse podcast, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Crack Die? Uh, so, on the Crack Die podcast, we are running through the Age of Ashes adventure path. Uh, I think we're about to hit somewhere in the 70s in episodes. We're finishing up book two now. Uh, and we've got a crazy little crew running. We've had adventures with goblins. We've had... Uh, I play an elfin alchemist who, like, insists that she's actually a blood mage. And, like, that's how she does her magic uh, with my little homunculus familiar, Jasper. So, it's a great old time if you want to hang out with uh, our main core cast... It's a great time, and I love I love working with everybody. <laughs> That's good to know. And if you're coming to this from the Crack Die podcast, tell you a bit about Shield Bash. It is a uh, first edition Serpent Skull Adventure Path playthrough, uh, and it is definitely an adults only podcast. Fair warning, both in um, topics and ways those topics are discussed so yeah i should should put that addendum for crack die too we are marked explicit Uh, we tend not to try to get too raunchy but there's f-bombs everywhere so just a warning (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh today's topic is going to be inclusion at the table a pretty broad topic as many of ours are and it is appropriate that with this topic we have our first non-middle-aged white man on the other side (laughs) of my screen here so uh it'll be a good way to do this now when we talk about inclusion at the table it means a lot of things a lot of people nowadays they think of you know um you know making sure that you have a a wide diversity of you know everything from the way people look to their creeds to um you know their their uh in their preferred gender identities. But it can mean a lot more than that. It can be everything from age groups to political beliefs to uh, you know, all of the other internal things, uh, even just different experience levels of games. So having inclusion at the table uh, is, is kind of vital also to the growth of the game. Uh, and let's just kind of start with this, uh, you know, as per usual, you know, I don't pick the topics. <laughs> this one was picked by, you know, the crack. Uh, was it you specifically who picked it, Christine? Or was it, because uh, I'm not sure exactly who I was talking to through the Twitterverse there. Uh, so through the Twitterverse, you probably were either with um, Sean, who is our GM, or Haya, who is one of our other players. They're both lovely. I recognize um, the name Sean. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, Sean is our GM. He is also my husband. Haya is one of our players. She is amazing. Uh, she plays the lovely Brianna. Um, but it's definitely something that, I, like uh, like he said, I am not a middle-aged white man. I am a nearing middle-aged white queer woman, so I hit a couple of the things. But um, <laughs> um, I also work behind the scenes a lot in the gaming industry. I've been writing for RPG. And to see how our, our hobby and you know, this thing that we love is opening its doors and becoming you know, more inclusive is a, is a really wonderful thing. Um, and actually, that's one of my favorite things about Paizo is that not only are they making it way more visible on the page, as a company, they are super diverse within the queer community with having people of color writing for their games. They're really, really pushing for that. And so um, we, we've touched on this 
But what was it, like, what all was it that really was... Try to find a good way to say this. Was there a a big message that you wanted to, to give for this? Like, a big thing, like, yes, this is definitely one I want to talk about because this is the thing that's most important to me out of this. Really, it's, you know, the idea that gaming is for everyone. We have a lot of talk about gatekeeping going on in a lot of different communities. I'm sure everybody remembers the Gamergate incident of years ago that is kind of still limping along, but whatever. Um, really, that well, gaming is for... Oh, tell yeah, us about that. Tell us about that. Um, so, it really started in video games, but there is, you know, a, a small sect of small vocal minority who, like, really seem to cleave to the whole thing that, like, their identity is being a nerd in, like, the classic sense. Like, Revenge of the Nerds, like, 80s movies kind of thing. And they tie a lot of that to their identity. So when they see their hobby becoming popular, instead of being excited that, you know, maybe someone else is going to be interested in their thing, it's it can feel threatening that all of a sudden these people who maybe made fun of you for something is kind of, like, I don't want to say hoarding in on your hobby, but that's kind of how it gets seen. So they tend to lash out, um, which is really unfortunate. It all started because um, a woman made a game about depression and it like just blew up into this whole thing that involved doxing and, you know, like really making this poor woman's life hell over a game she made that like it, because of an experience that she had and she wanted to be make more relatable. Um, and it kind of spills over into all directions, not just from video gaming, but I have seen a number of people that I know um, you know, say that they don't necessarily feel safe in certain spaces because of that, and that's where we got, uh, as far as conventions, when they used to be able to happen, thanks coronavirus, um, get into things like cosplay and consent, and all sorts of other things like that. So it really kind of brought to the forefront what a lot of people in the more marginalized communities knew about the gaming industry, which is that no place is safe from any kind of discrimination or any kind of these interactions, and in shining a light at all of, you know, the kind of the dark underbelly, we can finally start to bring those other people in and say, like, hey, yes, we know this happens. We're working on changing it, and we really want you here in our hobby. Yeah. I hope that well, all made sense and it wasn't too rambly. <laughs> no. Well, it may get rambly, but we always get rambly for gamers. It, it happens. <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> I... I told this story a little while in one of the other episodes, uh, but it kind of highlights it. Now, I obviously have not had to deal with a lot of that at the game tables. You know, growing up, I got a lot of the picked on because, you know, I, I am a nerd. It is what I am. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that made my childhood kind of rough. But then, like, once I'm around the nerd culture, I haven't experienced that myself. But I had the experience detailed to me a while back. Um, we, I, I met this lady at a convention. She was sitting at my table, and she was telling me that she had just moved to Illinois a few months ago. She had used to play D&D back where she came from, and tried to join a, a fifth ed table, and just had the worst experience at a game store. Like, yeah. the whole, think, you know... Uh, every woman can say that. I will say, there was one where I grew up, I was looking for a summer job one year, and I walked in, I'm like, you know, I had my 3.5 was the addition back then, because... Uh, I think fourth was still a twinkle in someone's eye. Uh, and I was literally looked up and down when I said, hey, do you have a job publication? And just, like, given the most dismissive, like, no ever by the man behind the counter. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, she was told that she could only play female characters because she was a female and, like, all this other stuff. And, like, 
you know, she, she tried to stick it out and, like, eventually, like, she was just at the table having the worst time and, like, somebody stood up from another table, walked over and, like, put their arm around her and said, why don't you come over here and play Pathfinder with us? And, you know, she found a group of people that were just like, hey, we don't care. <laughs> just, you know, we just come and play. And as long as you're wanting to play and have fun, that's all we care about. And, you know, uh, like, not that it's a competition or sides, but, like, we gained a player from that. They lost. The, and she was a good player, too. And she ended yeah. like, now she GMs at conventions and all this other stuff. So it's like, we, we really gained an upper hand. That, you know, they could have had, a, like, cause everybody wants more GMs. Everybody. They really do. And they I could have had that. guilty of that. I hate GMing. Yeah. <laughs> and they could have had that if they had just been like, yeah, you know, we don't care. Just play whatever. You know, you yeah. can be whatever. It's, you know. I think one of my most relatable moments in gaming, as far as, like, gaming and media, I think it's Gamers 2, uh, Torkin's Rising. When, like, the girlfriend of one of the characters is like, oh no, I, I wrote this character and I know how it works, so, and, like, here's how I'm gonna, like, decimate this combat in a single round. As I spent four hours making this character and I'm gonna play her. Exactly! Um, and that was actually, that was one of the funniest things when I was growing up in high school playing 3.5 was, like, it was like a bragging right that you could roll up a character in less than 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will say this, like, I know we're gonna get off on a bit of a tangent here, but I, I, whenever I watch that movie, I'm just like, there's no way. A, those feats aren't in the player's handbook for starters. Well, uh, yeah. The feats that you took. Uh, B, you spent four hours making a ninth level character by yourself. That woman would have to be like, I've been playing for ten years, and it takes me four hours to make a character at first <laughs> level. Sometimes, let alone at ninth level. Yeah, you know, it's like how like. That woman is clearly way smarter than I am <laughs> to figure that <laughs> or, out. <laughs> or a closet nerd, and like she knew all about this and was like, "Yes, I have this character that I've been wanting to play forever." <laughs> Maybe I didn't consider that that she already knew what she was doing. That's yeah. Yeah. I will say though, like we use we use Hero Lab on our podcast to like just make sure everybody's on the up and up, and it has made making characters so much easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a couple guys in our group that use Hero Lab. I. I personally don't use it because I just I like the tactile feel. But. And, but I need I need like I can do Hero Lab for my character sheet just fine, especially because I play things like Alchemists and Casters a lot where things are changing on the fly. Oh yeah. Um, you know, like in spell slots spell slots. And uh, you know, all my alchemy and everything. But I need a book. I can't I can't sit with a PDF. I need to flip through a book and like have my fingers stuck in the pages looking at what I want to do. So <laughs> I get that. Yeah. <laughs> And just the amount of custom items that you run into, like that's that's where Hero Lab really kind of begins to fall apart. It's like when you get a custom item. Yeah, that's true. So, um, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're... Uh, anyway, okay. Like to so, your story, I was going to say that's like a great moment for inclusion. That's like you know one of those things we want to talk about. It's not saying hey, this is the only thing you can do because you know we say so. It's come over here, have a good time, and as long as nobody's getting hurt, like that's a great great moment. Yeah. Which you know, kind of leads us to another thing of the, the the nobody getting hurt. Now, obviously, we are referring to like a an emotional level of hurt, not like you know, because nobody should ever be physically hurt at the table. That yeah. goes without saying. That's a but, whole different hobby. That's yeah. larping, and even then, it shouldn't actually hurt. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we're not talking also about you know people getting mad 
uh, because while we do try to avoid that, it will happen or disappoint it. Like I, I gaming last night, my character spent four rounds of combat puking. Like it was just, yeah. I, I missed like that's just boring, you know, yeah. disappointing. But, you will hear me get so frustrated about the fact, like on our show, that I, I think I crit failed three times in a row one combat, and like you can hear me getting angry about that. <laughs> yep. it happens. It, we all know somebody like that, Brad. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I'm gonna hands off yeah, that one. But yeah. oh, Britt knows who who he is. He, sure. he knows his problem. Uh, but we're also <laughs> for, like there are black card subjects. Yes, uh, we call it the X card on our on our show. But it's basically something you can say like, I don't want to touch it. This is something that affects me, and I don't want to delve into that with this story that we're telling. Yep. <laughs> yep. And with uh, like for me personally uh, at my t- table. Whenever I'm there, rape is always clear off. Like, it's never even joked about. Like, it's one of those things where I'm like, if it gets brought up, I'm like, nope, we're done. Move on. Yep, we are going to just fade out of the scene. We don't need to go there. Um, One of my friends uh, who ran LARPs for a very long time, that was part of her opening spiel for all her games, was there is enough horrible things in this world that we can delve into and have fun with. That doesn't need to be one of them. Like, sexual violence does not need to be part of yeah. most people's games. Yeah. Because while <laughs> while terrible things obviously have to happen in the game, because otherwise, you know, why would you be heroic? There's also the level of, you know, not all of it has to happen. So, but not everybody's going to agree with that, which leads to player conflict. Which <laughs> dun, is, dun, dun. yeah, always going <laughs> to pop up in any group that plays together long enough, you're going to run into that. What are some? What is some of your best advice or best examples of dealing with player conflict? So one of the things I like to go back to a lot um, can kind of happen at your session zero for a campaign. You know, when you're kind of figuring out what you want to do and how you're going to play, is really deciding on like the tone you're going to take with the game and how you're going to address it. Like, are you going to jump into just like a dungeon grind and all you want to do is whack monsters and like get your loot, or do you want to delve more into like crazy RP and get into like your emotions and like all of these in-depth narratives because that's one of the first things that's going to create conflict. Someone wants to go right on to the next combat and someone else is like no we just slaughtered this person who was like trying to talk to me and I want to like sit in that feeling. If you set that up right at the gate and you know that's not going to come up that's a great way to do it. If you're getting more into like as you're playing things are cropping up it's always a great time to you know you can always kind of stop and revisit things that have come up as you're going along. So Pathfinder is great for that, especially if you're doing an adventure path. Like there's built-in pausing points at the end of every book. You can kind of sit back and revisit and say, hey, so we've started, you know, we've hit some of the major themes. Do we want to update any of our our X topics, our black topics? Do we want to, you know, maybe work with how we're interacting as characters? Do we want to, you know, if you just suddenly decide two of your characters aren't jiving and it's creating tension between the players, swap somebody out for the adventure like the big point the big part is character feelings can get hurt and that can be a lot of fun when it bleeds over into the players is when you might have to take a step back and kind of you know figure out where that's coming from and try to make sure you all stay friends (laughs) so listeners you will notice our once again repeated um emphasis on communication and setting expectations it seems to come up in every video uh, as to how important it is just to be able to, to talk to each other about these issues and talk it out, you know. And it's 
it's not just the responsibility of the GM to to recognize and deal with this, but if you're having a problem with you know player to player, you guys should talk about it because it D and D that's not fun. There's no point in playing Pathfinder yeah. if it's if you're not having fun. You got to make sure you've got that going. I know, you know, I I've been gaming with the same group of guys for a little over ten years. Uh, we've had several conversations about There's things where it's just like, hey, this is not something that you know, like this is bothering me in one way or the other, or I'm mad about this, or what have you. And uh, it it at least makes things. I, I'm one of those people where, like, when something's bothering me, like, it you know, it, it feels tense. Yeah, you can just kind of talk. feel it festering. And... Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, I don't want this to be like, I'll have the conversation without that person in my head multiple oh, times. Oh, yeah, that's such a bad habit of mine. I do it, too. Oh, yeah. And it, and it is. It's terrible. But it's like, but once you, once you at least start the conversation, for me at least, once you start the conversation, it helps all of that sink away. Yeah. And I find that, you know, even with somebody's on the other side, they tend to be very reasonable about things. At least yeah. that's been my experience. Have you had any, like, big examples? Not necessarily with our show, actually. We're, we're a pretty, pretty good group together. But even if things are, if things are getting heated in character, out of character, however, um, sidebarring is one of my favorite things to do. So, um, in, in a different game I'm playing, I was in a screaming match with another player over Zoom. It was our characters clashing on something so, so hard. And, like, in my second screen off to the side here, we have, like, a messenger chat on Facebook, like, are you doing okay? Like, is this cool? Can we keep going? So if it turns into, you know, character conflict that seems to be getting really elevated, even just taking a step back, saying, you know, this is, my character's getting really worked up about this. You know, do you want to keep going with the scene or not? Or if you realize it's not the character, if something really painful just happened and you need a minute, taking back and just being like, yo, I just, like... I just dropped to dying three and I really love this character and I'm upset. Like, give me a minute before we really do anything. So being cognizant of your own emotions and how that might affect people. It's, it's a little hard to think of in the moment when we're in our feelings, they're, they're pretty powerful, but even just being able to be like, you know what? I was really upset that like, you know, I, my, I lost my favorite piece of loot and like, you know, my, my ancestral armor broke and I was like really shitty after, you know, after that combat and I, you know, I feel really bad that I took it out on you. Things like that. Thinking back, realizing things that happen. You know, even if it is something that happened in-game, you can go back and apologize and be like, you know, that really wasn't cool. I'm sorry. We can walk that back if you want. <laughs> That's fair. I, communicating with yourself, essentially. Yeah. Making sure that you know how you're feeling. And I, I, I've been there where, you know, I've been upset over the way something happened in the game. And it's like, you know, I've had to apologize to people. Because yeah. of the way I've acted, you know, it's it's going to happen. You are, you know, pretending in this. Sometimes it bleeds over. Yeah, and if someone does, you know, say to you, hey, that got really heated and it ended up, you know, hitting me a little harder. It's another moment of, like, you don't always have to react right away. You can just kind of, like, you're right. That scene happened. Let me think about that. You know, you don't want to say anything else hurtful in that moment. If it all of a sudden you you know someone says hey the way you're you're addressing this the way you're role playing the way you know the word you use at the table really bothers me like you don't have to react right away when you're in your feelings and make things worse at the table yeah. and with that too you know comes to the under like I, I think it was Jason Lillis who said um, 
you have to be gracious to people. I'm paraphrasing this. That's not his exact words. I apologize. Some of the listeners are you know, <laughs> going to be streaming through this and be like, oh, I just listened to that, and he actually said this. Um, <laughs> but it comes in like the paraphrasing of like, you have to be gracious to each other at the table. And part of that, too, is, you know, being accepting of the other viewpoints. So, like, what are some of the benefits you can think of that you know, come from having multiple different viewpoints all sitting at the table? Most of the time, um, you're going to hit some blind spots you never knew you had. So whether that's, um, like you said, certain things that you've just never really thought of because you're, you're a dude walking through nerd spaces. Like, you might not have to worry about things that, like, you know, a woman will or... I won't have to worry about things, but like people of color will. So even if you're just sitting at the table, you're doing something you would normally do, and someone says, "Hey, you know, is it really okay that we're doing this?" Or like, even if they're talking about like, "Hey, we just came up on this group of goblins and just decided to mercilessly slaughter them all," but like, that one's working at a blacksmith's forge. <laughs> like, do we have to just murder them? Um, that's the kind of thing. We're just approaching things differently, deciding, you know, maybe we should try this tactic instead of another. Or sometimes it'll end up being like, hey, this is what things are like in my life. And I think that's, you know, has a resonance with this character that we just met. You know, this is maybe what we've done so far, but can, can I try doing something different with this one? Yeah. So it's very right. much in that. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, the saying that like art imitates life, life imitates art and everything like that. I find that very, very true of gaming as well, especially because what we're doing is telling stories. And that's what life is. It's you know, one long story beginning to end. So as long as you're willing to have someone else kind of point out that, like, you know, the character flaws or the plot holes or what's going on, and you're willing to learn from them, it's a really fun experience. Yeah. With the, the tactics thing specifically, we had a guy join our group. Uh, he'd been wanting to game for a long time, and he, he came in at a level 10 in the middle of an AP, decided <laughs> to play an alchemist, did a fantastic job, right? But we're, you know, it's... It's book four. We are... <laughs> it is rough city. And he yeah. is not yet familiar with, like, how to make sure he's hoarding his his um, his resources. So as of at the end of the day, he still has elixirs and bombs, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we end up in this big fight, and he's out of everything. So he decides his objective is he's going to take this bag of devouring and try to put it over enemies' heads oh and eat them. And everybody was like... Don't you love when that happens? We never would have thought of that. Look, necessity is the mother of invention. We know this. But, like, I would, like, you know, you get so ingrained in, like, what you can do and can't do. And then you, like, you know, you play with the same people for so long, you know, like, oh, this person's going to probably do this because, you know, in this situation. You figure out, you know, your combat rhythms and everything. But then you get somebody new in the mix who's just like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to try and eat a guy with a cursed bag. And you're just like, thank you. That's amazing. Well, I, have a, I have a great story like that. Um, when we're not doing the podcast, Sean actually runs another game for me and a couple of my friends and my father. He was the one that got me into all sorts of role playing, just telling me stories about when he used to play advanced Dungeons and Dragons with his friends in the 70s and 80s. And Pathfinder 2nd Edition is the only other system he's played. So he went from playing Advanced Dungeons & Dragons back to, you know, when it was first came out to, like, Pathfinder 2, 2E now. And I will never forget the look on Sean's face 
when my father went, his wife goes to wind, right? Yes, you do. That's one of your spells. You can play a sorcerer. So I went in town and I bought a big satchel of pepper. And I just see my Sean's face just kind of like, okay. He goes, mega caster, right? Yes, he is. I throw my mega pepper on the ground and it floofs up everywhere. Yeah, sure. I cast Gust of Wind. And uh, now he's sneezing and he can't cast his spells. <laughs> and I just watch. I'm just like, what? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and like, she has something like this every session because it's really if you go back to the you know the old books, there's literally there's like there are none of the crazy compendiums that are that have these little tiny items. It was just yeah sure why not, and that's the kind of energy he brings to our games. Like I I get it very much from him, especially in the early episodes. You'll notice pretty much every one of my turns starts with so am I allowed to. And that's where I get it from, from my father, who does things like, can I tie a satchel of pepper to my arrows? Or can I tie, like, my flint and tinder and put, like, a, sp- you know, like a sparker on my bow so I can have flaming arrows? <laughs> it's just, I love the creativity that you can really do when, on, on our show, we try to cleave very, very strictly to the rules because um, we do have a lot of people who are just starting out and haven't necessarily been uh, gaming super long, but... Once you start to get to know those rules and you can kind of decide when you, you know, want to apply them and when you don't, the stuff you can come up with is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. The, you know, and I, I will be the first to say Pathfinder is not the, the greatest for that because it is a very rules-heavy game. It's very noodly, as they yeah. say. Um, Crunch. But, yes. <laughs> but, like, I, I've, I listen to several podcasts and the ones who do, like, Fate Accelerated or um, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse Systems... Like they're they're super open like that, and it really yeah. it it really helps bring like it, the it's just a really refreshing viewpoint, you know, like yeah. it, being able to do things that you're just like, you know, I never really thought about that doing it like that let's, because let's do it, let's go crazy, <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of the other things about it too, especially if you're playing Paizo products, Paizo has their analogs for most of the real world. Syrian, the Mwangi Expanse, Tianja, Jalmaray, Varundi. Uh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing half these correctly. Like, I know, right? <laughs> uh, the, the Distant Shores Gazetteer has, you know, your your ancient Greece, your Shogun Japan, all that stuff. Um, like, mm-hmm. the Mongol nomads. If you listen to something like the Find the Path podcast, where they're really big into Egyptology and they're doing the Mummy's Mask, it makes sense. But like, <laughs> yeah. if I was, if I was doing Mummy's Mask, like I, I wouldn't dare try an Egyptian uh, accent. I would be terrible at it. Oh you no! Know? And, and like, a- let alone really knowing a lot about how the culture works down there. That was the big question for us uh, in in book two of of uh, Age of Ashes. Spoiler alert: If you're going to play through it, you you end up in the Moangi Expanse for pretty much the entire book. And that was one of the first things is. Uh, my husband is white, he's our GM, and he's like, I really don't want to try and do, like, an insulting accent for, like, the the Akuje, the elves you meet there. And that was, that's another, that kind of comes back to our theme of, like, when you're including people, you obviously don't want to insult them. So, perpetuating racist stereotypes and things like that are maybe not the greatest idea. Um, (laughs) And that's, that's one of the fun things I think a lot of the actual plays are bringing to light, where it's like you kind of reflect on how you're role playing, 
and how you're going to be presenting this to people who aren't just your friends and like you kind of realize hmm especially if you are like you know like a white gamer like myself like my husband um fortunately like we actually like 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 you <laughs> um you kind of like stop and you, you reflect on those things and i think the performative aspect of actual plays is another really great tool for kind of examining your own prejudices or things you just kind of don't question um so like the the status quo that might not be great kind of comes to light in that sense um and that was really wonderful unfortunately he um with COVID and everything, he did have to leave our cast. We miss you, Anwar. Um, but we had Anwar Nusa on our podcast, and he is... Um, I'm not entirely sure what his heritage is, but not white. <laughs> um, so it was really nice to have his perspective, and uh, Haya is um, Jordanian from Jordan. I don't know if that, I think that's the right term for it. So we have a couple other cultural views on things to really look yeah. at things. So... Which, one of the things I find beneficial about it is, like, yeah, uh, yes, obviously you don't want to insult people, but, like, if you were running Mummy's Mask and you happen to have somebody from Egypt, like, they can explain a lot of this stuff, and, like, you can learn what you're missing from it. Like, it's a great chance for the person to learn things, or, like, yeah. if you're doing, um, like, we're doing Jade Regent, you know, if mm -hmm. we had somebody who had grown up in China, we, like, they would be able to explain, like, you know, because obviously that whole thing is based on like the Chinese dynasties and things like that, yeah, and it's absolutely. like you know, they're like they can help explain the you know six thousand years of history or four thousand years of history yeah. of, of the country and like how, why certain things are more important than others and like why some things may be significant because Paizo does a lot of research and they don't they don't mess around with that stuff, yeah you know and they they put out calls detailed. for writers of the cultures that they want to you know make analogs of which is why like i said before like they are one of my favorite examples of an inclusive company because it's not a bunch of white guys going all oh, right let's uh let's write a bunch of you know asian stereotypes into a book and call it a day they're saying like no let's let's get chinese writers let's get you know african from like all the different like egyptian versus you know like congo versus everything and you know, no culture is a monolith, so let's dive into all the tiny little bits of them. Yeah. That's just one of the reasons why it feels so so real. You know, mm -hmm. like, you even in Varigia, you know, everything from the uh, the actual Varigians, you know, which mm -hmm. are, like, you know, the, the, the nomadic people of, if, uh, like, northwestern Europe, to, mm -hmm. you know, all your Chalaxian, you know, outcasts <laughs> who are, you know, very much your, your, your Europeans... All kind of, you know, your northern Europeans, I should say, you know, all kind of mixing together and everything. And it's like, and then your Shawanti barbarians, it's like, it's like you have these three cultures in one place and they feel like distinct individual cultures. Yeah, it's great. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's a fantastic job of doing it. And it, you could only be so lucky to have that at the table. It really helps bring your characters to life, keeps the game interesting. I yeah. Think. One of my favorite things in any any roleplay system, especially if there is like you know you're you're going from the culture that your characters grew up into somewhere else, is like having roleplay tips or like little tiny things characters can do that really set apart. Like oh, this is like these are their cultures and these are their customs. Whether it's you know how they wear certain pieces of clothing, if there's a certain gesture they have that's a greeting, and like I love all those kind of like little tiny, really just daily life details. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of my favorite video series is Matt Colville's uh, Running the Game. I don't know if you ever watch his stuff. Um, mm. But he he has a, he's 
it's got a great uh, amount of GM vice, but one of the things that, one of the miniseries, I guess, in there was setting up a world. Mm-hmm. And, like, he goes into those little details of, like, okay, you know, first thing you got to figure out is what is important to a group of people. You know, like, when you're yeah. creating this, this group, like, what is their main thing? Like, are they really proud of their craftsmanship? Like, you know, Germany's really well known for working hard and great craftsmanship. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, when you think of, you know, Italy, you think of like good food and wine and, you know, like all of, you know, and like uh, architectural history. Yeah. You know, like you pick that and then you kind of build off from there. And it kind of then from there you dive into those cool little things of like gestures and greetings, you know, and obviously some of them are really, I, I'll say, stereotyped due to their age like dwarves elves stuff like that you know yeah you know orcs but well with the amount of other ethnicities that are built in you can have like so much diversity in there yeah and that's another another fun thing i liked about pathfinder second edition is um the movement away from like races and monoliths of races into like your ancestry and your heritage it's like where are you from how did you grow up more so than you were born this way so that's how you are (laughs) and we're back uh sorry about the little break there folks uh i'll blame my kids So, uh, back to our topic of inclusivity. Yes, yeah, my wife's sticking her tongue out at me for blaming my children for this, because uh, they had absolutely nothing to do with it, but they're too young to listen to the podcast and won't ever know. <laughs> so, uh, which kind of leads us to another one of the benefits of inclusivity here. I have started my kids, uh, as some of our listeners will have already heard me tell the story, on a tabletop RPG based on the My Little Pony world. That's amazing. Yeah, they love it. Uh, It was the incentive to get my oldest daughter to learn how to read, uh, because she didn't really want to put in the effort. We told her, like, if you start learning how to read, you can play it. Like, well, we will get this game and play it with you. And then my youngest just kind of lucked into it, because, I mean, they're four and six. Like, Yeah, (laughs) they they love that stuff. And we also roped in my my mother-in-law to play. Okay. Who, growing up, my wife had to deal with the whole you can't play D&D because it's satanic oh. but but now that same mother-in-law is sitting down and playing the My Little Pony game that's so, amazing yeah we have <laughs> we have expanded the the world of, of tabletop nerdage into more people and I'm prepping my, my children to be ner- like adult nerds mm-hmm. by making them child nerds and that's that's how so many of us come into it, but on on a very similar vein. And one of my favorite things, uh, Sean and I, my husband and I, play uh, have recently gotten into Age of Sigmar, and we were going to buy buy something in at the shop. We were talking about different paints and everything, and and the the man there was like, "Yeah, I'm making my daughter uh, a 40k army, and it's done all in the My Little Pony colors." <laughs> so, I'm just like, what? Like, how does Fluttershy even fit into that? Anyway, but. <laughs> Just all the cutie marks are on the tanks. That's, yeah, that's the way yeah, it goes. Yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, friendship is magic, so are missiles. Sometimes that's how it's how it is. Yeah. I mean, I guess friendship really is magic for orcs if they believe it hard enough. But yeah. we digress. <laughs> uh, 
So, anyway, all this is to say that inclusivity expands the hobby. Yes. You know, and there is obviously, like all things, it can be taken too far. Several years ago, I had the misfortune of being linked into like, hey, you'd find this interesting, an article that talked about how a critical role with their increased popularity should be required to swap out some of its cast members for um, people of color or, you know, uh, different gender identities and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, and obviously this was just the writer's opinion, but I was like, wow, that sucks. Because, like, these people, like, they're popular because, like, they're friends and they game together. Like, they shouldn't yeah. be forced to do anything. Like, That also there is seems a... to really lean far into, like, tokenism, which is, you know, you don't want to... It's it's what everybody says about like oh you know you're you never want someone to be like oh you're you know the black guy on the podcast you're the girl on the podcast you're you know like and that's where like when you're forcing it it kind of becomes really really obvious in that sense (laughs) defeats the purpose yeah yeah um I will say like you know making making those things visible is obviously a huge part of it which is again. Part of why I love a lot of what Paizo is doing. All their iconics are very different. Um, they had the entire gender-neutral, like, or agender alien species in Starfinder, which is really cool. Um, so that and visibility the tri-gender is... species. The trigender species, it's true. Visibility is a huge thing, but... Yeah, when it gets into tokenism, when it gets into that kind of thing, it's it's weird. It's, it's a funky line to walk. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, our... Our particular table at Shield Bash is a bunch of, um, with the exception of Will, who's only in his mid twenties, uh, you know, middle to upper middle aged white guys, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it wasn't really like a choice we made. We, a lot of us, gamed together and like, okay, let's find somebody else to round out this cast, and like we went through like four different people before we finally found somebody who could do it. I think we asked three women and two guys. <laughs> And, like, people that we'd gamed with before and were like, yeah, yeah, you know, we think you'd fit well. And they all, like, all five of them had to turn us down. And then Will was like, yeah, I could do it. And sometimes so that's like, how it works out. Yeah. Like, so, Sean, obviously, we, we met LARPing. So we met doing, like, the things nerds think is nerdy. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to ask, Belagarth or, or, um, oh, I don't even remember what the other one is sm- anymore. Uh, lo- smaller local LARP, actually. It was called okay. Night Realms, but we're not going to get into that because that's a whole other thing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, we don't go anymore. We'll put it there. Uh, um, but, yeah, like, that's part of what I also like about our table. Like, that was the first thing he was like, I want to do this with you because we never really get to game together. Um, and then a couple other people we knew. Um, it's, we have another husband and wife pair on the show. And she was also very into LARP for the theatrics of it and, you know, getting to actually, you know, be in character for, like, days at a time or, you know, like, an evening at a time. Um, So she's by no means new to gaming, but newer to Pathfinder. And most of our other cast we know just because they were in, you know, one of our gaming group and we said the same thing. Hey, like, let's, let's, let's do a podcast. This should be really fun. So sometimes it's just how it falls together. But when you are doing things like, um, I know a lot of people found, um, no GCD, like, once people kind of pointed out, like, hey, you guys are, like, really big and really popular, and you have no women. So, like, they immediately were like, you know what, you're right. 
we're gonna add a couple cast members and we're gonna put out a call for women since they're a huge part of the gaming industry we are <laughs> so yeah. yeah and you know and is like ellie is is a great addition you know and um <laughs> i'll admit i can't remember the other lady who enjoyed Andor- androids and aliens later because i'm bad with names but I'm terrible with names yeah yeah um, I, I don't even think the whole cast of yeah. GCP. <laughs> the, but the, um, like the core, like when you listen to Giant Slayer, the Giant Slayer campaign, they don't even have David, the rules lawyer, on there. Like it's just Troy, Joe, Matt, Grant, and um, um, Troy, Skid, that's his name. Ha, I knew I was forgetting right? Yeah. I um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been listening for like four years and I can't remember all their names all the time. Um, you know, because group dynamic is important and you know and it's it's obvious to try new things mm-hmm. you know i one of the reasons i love going to conventions is to meet new people absolutely I, yeah i was joking with a guy um because i i'm still going to some conventions uh by the time this one comes out we'll be approaching farmageddon 8 which is one of the conventions i help run okay yeah and i met a guy at farmageddon last year his name was barrett moy right Okay. And he contacted us because he didn't sign up in time and wanted to sign up late and get into some games. And I immediately thought, six foot four, red haired Scotsman with a name like Barrett Moy. Yeah. Like, that's a Scotsman name. <laughs> it was about 5'8, and at some point in his history, was an Asian heritage. Mm-hmm. And I was and- like, that is. Not what I was expecting. Right. And like sometimes you like and that's the kind of thing. Sometimes you have to be like, okay, I gotta check myself on that. But like yeah. you're not gonna be like, no, you're I was expecting a Scotsman, so you cannot play. Like that's obviously yeah. not the response to that. Like No, my response was actually I told him the story that I was expecting this massive red <laughs> Scotsman and he's just like, Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> and I, I love when that happens though, and especially when it comes to things like podcasts, like you go so long hearing someone's voice, you kind of just get a mental image, and then like you see them, and you're like, "I had no idea you looked like that." <laughs> I will admit there are some times where when I do that, and I'm just like, "No, that's not what you look like." Yeah, like I just no. like headcan not accepted. <laughs> nope, nope. I'm just gonna keep listening. Like, nope. You like you are you are a, a mousy man. That's the way I've pictured you in your my head. You cannot be you know that tall and and bulky. Nope, you're. Yeah. Or even when it comes to, like, you know, like, (laughs) someone you've been listening to for ages, and, like, you have, you know, your mental picture of what their face looks like, and, like, they'll be like, oh, yeah, my beard. And you're like, you don't have a beard? Beard? What are you talking about? (laughs) What do you mean you're blonde? You're not blonde. What? (laughs) Your head is shaved. Yeah, like, what do you mean you have hair? That's, that's, I will joke around about that a lot. Um, I, I have purple hair now. I have colored it. But, um... I, I, I used to make the joke a lot, especially in high school. I was, you know, a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed blonde, all of, all of five foot one. And um, when I actually joined my, my RPG club at college, people kind of, like, I kind of poked my head into the room. I'm like a shy person, so I'm like, I heard this was the D&D club. And they're like, yeah. Like, do you play? I'm like, yeah, I've been playing for like five or six years, like through high school. I usually play Beguiler in 3.5. And like, I just watched all of their expressions like, you know what you're talking about. That's that's a player's handbook two class. Okay. And like it like that's the kind of thing. It's those assumptions that you make that we all kind of just have to walk back and double check and like no matter who you are or what you look like or like 
this is this is someone who knows what they're talking about. One of my husband's best friends uh, grew up in Hawaii, and he is, you know, he's got like kind of tough guy like attitude, and, like he talks like tough guy and everything. He like was gonna be on the Olympic Taekwondo team, but he like actually broke somebody's leg, so he couldn't be. And he will put together the barbarian that will make GMs everywhere cry. Um, he they they would play uh, PFS Pathfinder Society in first edition, and his Sunder Barbarian was just the bane of all uh. of play GMs everywhere. And it's just one of those things where it's like you really can't assume anything. Yeah, but you want to talk about black card subjects? Uh, one of mine is one of my black card rules is I will not deal with Sunder. Like I, I, I hear that I, a lot. I, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I always tell people too. It's that, and if like I will allow it, but if you want to play mounted combat, like you have, you have to learn nope. mounted combat. Know your like, own damn rules. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't. Yeah, yeah. No, it's one of the guys in my regular groups. He was, you know, he's very much like that. You know, he was in a P90X workout com- uh, video. Wow. He, yeah, yeah uh, does the announcements for the high school football team. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, Eagle Scout, Boy Scout leader, all this stuff, and he was my first GM. You know, it's just not... That's the kind of thing I love. Like, as much as, I I will admit, I had this kind of reaction, too, when, like, nerd things started getting popular. You know, when you consider part of your identity, and, you know, that's how you consider yourself for so long, and all of a sudden it opens up so broadly, there is that kind of urge to be like, no, this is what it is. But it's so much more fun to look out and be like, you know, like, everyone's a nerd like everyone can be yeah. a nerd everyone can enjoy these things um and i kind of want to take your your whole thing with mounted combat and pivot a little bit because i'm sure you are aware of the the uh combat wheelchair and all the drama that seemed to stir up for no good goddamn reason yeah <laughs> yes and no like to me like the combat wheelchair is such a flavor item it's like yeah it's it's a thing where you could just like you could just have a combat wheelchair. Like, why does it even need to be a thing? Like, you could just... Yeah. I mean, I have it. I will say having it as a thing, it's going to go back to what I was saying about visibility. Like, sure. It's like, I know a whole bunch of people who are like, I saw that item and I was like, oh my god. Like, I felt for once that, like, I could be in this setting. I'm in a wheelchair and, like, I have never seen this kind of accommodation made for me before. So, as far as visibility goes, that's that's why I really love that item. And the backlash against it was because I, of the stability. Yeah. <laughs> I I should say this, like when I realize now what I said makes may have come off not the way I intended it. Like because to me the combat wheelchair is such a thing where it's like it almost didn't need its own rules to me. Like you could just yes. like just said like, hey, you know, my guy's in a floating wheelchair. You know, it yeah. doesn't go more than an inch off the ground. Like you you treat it like almost like tensor's floating disc or what have you. So it's not going to be like overpowered or like, yeah, I can just levitate whenever I want. But it's like, it's it's such you a... Don't, you don't need the crunch for it to exist in the setting. Yeah, you know, it's such an easy thing to just say like, yeah, instead of walking, I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah, like accessibility, it's a struggle enough in the real world uh, between the myriad kind of things you can have going on. Like, I will freely say, I, I have a, a, a tattoo that is all about how I am a depressed bitch. I am on antidepressants because I don't make enough serotonin. And that's just one of, like, the invisibil- like invisible, you know, disabilities and things that we have, much less than, like, all the visible ones that people struggle with in the real world. So, like, don't be a dick about it in a fake imaginary world. Like, there's yeah. no reason why... Absalom or, you know, Eberron or whatever can't 
be accessible and be inclusive in that way. Like there's yeah. no like it's a warrior society based on what you and all of your you know your party members do. So having you know fully functional, crazy, advanced prosthetics for the time shouldn't be well, rule breaking. <laughs> yeah, it's not, and it almost wouldn't be. And I'll give the same explanation I give for a lot of things because wizard, wizard, artificer. Yeah. Like there's yeah. all sorts of like. Go ahead and, like, look at everything they have in Skyrim and tell me that, like, oh, they don't have, like, fully functioning articulated hands like Luke Skywalker would. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, accessibility in these worlds kind of makes sense, especially in a place like Absalom, because, you know, you've got everything from uh, a halfling to yeah. a bugbear possibly wanting to hang out in your tavern. You need to have accommodations for literally physically also, different types of people. Like, that guy's got wings. We need the bed for the guy who has wings. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, there's there's the tiefling. Okay, we're going to have to make sure the doors are wide enough and that, you know, we have chairs or, like, if they have a tail to deal with, we can accommodate that. Like, yeah. it's there's like, practical experience already in the game. Exactly. And that's that's the funniest thing is, like, when, you, when we do get, like, pushback against things like that, it's like, so you're willing to say, like, oh, yeah, will make sure that, like, the orc is comfortable, but, like, my friend who's missing half his leg won't be. Like, you, like ramps aren't a thing. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. It's... it's yeah. I, I will admit, one of the more confusing things I ever saw in a society game, because I do run a lot of society stuff, was mm -hmm. they introduced an NPC, you know, they had the name, and then in, you know, parentheses, they had, um, you know, uh, it's human... Expert five, uh, female woman, and I was reading that, and I'm like, and I, I had to, like, I looked at one of the players, I'm like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, and you know, I got the long spiel about gender versus identity, and I like, like gender what you're born with, versus, yeah. yeah, and I'm like, yeah, that's great. Are you ever going to ask her? Is this ever going to come up? <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, and they're like, they just looked at me. I'm like, have you ever stopped and asked an NPC? Are you trans? Like, are you ever that concerned about it? Like, you might as well put and what her favorite food is, because that might actually come <laughs> into play. But, like, <laughs> I understand if it's important to you. Absolutely. Like, yeah. But you don't need the rule book to tell you that. Yeah. Because like, I'm all for, like, give me art of, you know, like, trans men who have top surgery scars. Like, give me that, all of that kind of stuff. And if it's a part of the story you want to tell, like, there are games that are, are built to deal with that. One of my favorite ones that came out recently is, um, it's a Powered by the Apocalypse game. It's called Thirsty Sword Lesbians. And I it's a... Yes, so it's a queer-as-fuck game about being a queer-as-fuck adventurer fighting for, like, love and equality and inclusion. And it's amazing. And it's based on all of these ridiculous tropes, and literally they have an FAQ that's like, what if not queer? Or like, what if not thirsty? What if not sword? What if not lesbian? <laughs> and one of them is like, if you don't like queer things, if like that's not your jam, we don't know why you're here. <laughs> so, but like that's that's the kind of game where like it might be really important to note like, oh, I am I am a you know I'm a trans man, or I am you know like I'm a um, a fem NB things like that. Like, that's that's the kind of game where it being visible is part of the setting. Whereas in Pathfinder, it can just be a fact, like as yeah. opposed to you know something super important. Or even even in, like at your own table, if it's like if it's really important to your group, you can just make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. You and could that, just say yeah, 
you know, Shayla Hydebarch, this massively major NPC in the world of Galarian, she's bisexual now. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You know, the, the Paizo police are not going to come knocking on your door like, um, excuse me, but <laughs> they don't yeah. care. Yeah. You exactly. know, you, you can adjust the game as you need. Like, it, and, you know, it even pushes all the way back to the wheelchair thing. Like, why do you care what other people are doing at their table? Yeah. Uh, that's you that's know? the funniest thing. Like, there's the fun police, and then there's the, like, you know, why? Yeah. <laughs> Why? And you know, I saw uh, even um, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. You're familiar with that? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and then like they changed around how the races work in Fifth Edition and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And I heard so many people complaining about that. (laughs) So many people because they're like, but you know, it breaks with the rules. And it's like, yeah, it does break with the tradition. You know, of saying like, okay, Drow are not inherently evil. But at the same time, it's like that. Those people are choosing to use that rule set. That's their yeah. choice. At the and same honestly, time, you know, we had the people that were like, oh, yeah, no, this is the way everybody needs to play because Droush can't be, like, and it's like, no. If they want their Drow to be evil, they can be evil. Like, you have to allow both sets. And that's that's where, that's why I really like the differentiation between, like, culture and, um, again, ancestry, which is kind of what Pathfinder is doing the push for because... Why is any one race or heritage like strictly like you are evil because and this is a really old argument. It goes all the way back to Tolkien with the orcs and everything, but it always tends to be like if they're like, oh, your skin is not white, pale, you know, pale pink, you know, or anything else. It's always it's always the darker skin tone things that are like, oh, they're evil. It's orcs, it's drow, it's everything. And I love the drow. They are my favorite fantasy race. I adore them. Um, Spire by Rowan Rick and Deckard is one of my favorite settings in the world because you are playing a drow insurrection against high elves who are taking over your homeland. Um, <laughs> but there's there's room for improvement and there's room, I think I said it earlier, like there's no culture that is a monolith. So saying yeah. you were born a drow, you have to be evil is like, that takes away a lot of agency from yeah. those characters and from that entire species. So the pushback against that I don't get it at all. <laughs> so. I mean, like, I, I'm in the position where, like, with a lot of the settings, like, if you grew up in drow culture, yeah, you are probably evil. But, like, or, if you're yeah. a drow that was born somewhere else... Exactly. Like, you you are the product of the culture, mostly, anyway. The yeah. product of the culture you grew up in. So, it's... But, like, I would, I would love, you know, like, a, a drow character, player character, NPC, whatever, who grew up in draft society and, like, their their moral compass is horribly skewed by that, who then maybe does end up on the surface for some reason and yeah. starts to learn, like, oh, this is kind of fucked up. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe like, a ranger with a panther animal companion who do yeah, wield scimitars. Exactly, like, maybe you know. something like that. It's like we've told yeah. this story already yeah. and people are still fighting against it. I don't uh, know. What do you mean? I thought that was a wholly original idea. <laughs> Uh, yeah. um, I, mean, I feel like that can get into like a whole that can get sticky depending on how you're playing it yeah. but again that just kind of goes into like how sensitive you are about approaching these topics um, yeah it's... but yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of leads me to the, the, the you mentioned gatekeeping earlier mm-hmm. because like I, I have run into those people that you know are like you run into gatekeeping on both sides 
Definitely. Yeah. And it's it, it can be hard to get either group to recognize that that's what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. So it, that can be particularly frustrating. But it, it basically boils down to don't be dicks to each other. Yeah. Like, there is... This is an imaginary world. And every single instance of it can be radically different from the others. There is no way... To, like, the only way to do this wrong is to not have fun. <laughs> or to actively be hurting someone at your table. <laughs> yes. They're not having fun, and you're doing it wrong. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's the reason why every core rule book in almost any game starts by explaining these rules can be changed if they don't work for your table. Exactly. And so. the rule of cool is one of my favorite things. Like, if, even if the rules don't strictly support it, if it's this awesome plan that you guys have all come up with and you want to see it go, run with it. It doesn't have to be every time. It doesn't have to be every game. Just... If one of your players is super hyped about something, even if it doesn't necessarily do exactly what it, you know, like, run with your player's hype. Yes. Because at the end of the day, we're all playing make-believe together, and you don't want to be the one that's going, like, oh no, I have the shield and visibility, and my, you know, my laser gun always hits, and, you know, everyone's dead except me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's it's easy to, to change the rules as you need them. You know, like, you know, I, I've never had a character that needed uh, a wheelchair, but we had a character that spent their entire time on a permanent floating disc. They treated it like a surfboard. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't need it. They just, you know, the DM just, they sat down with the DM and made rules about how this guy basically was just surfing everywhere. Yeah. So and, like, just... that's how easy it is to adapt for whether you just want to or whether your character is paralyzed from the waist down or doesn't yeah. have legs or just, like you said, just because, because. <laughs> you know, and it's not like you even need to get into all the other nitty-gritty details that come from being paralyzed from the waist down because, let's face it, how many times have you told the DM that you're making sure you go to the bathroom? Yeah. That sort of stuff can just be skipped. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we basically... I uh, run the gamut of all the, the points that I was able to think up on inclusivity, and I will admit I'm not exactly the best person to be talking about inclusivity because I have not had to deal with a lot of the issues that come from it in my personal life, either helping others or anything else. All of my experience is third hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, do you have any other closing thoughts or other topics you'd want to hit on this on the uh, subtopics I guess on this before we before we, we go for the evening um I guess the, the biggest takeaway is just don't challenge anybody um a couple of Gen Cons ago this came up in really really stark relief uh and it was a really really uncomfortable situation for those who were there um where the writer of Harlem Unbound was pretty much asked point blank like oh what did you do to get your seat at the table and he had written you know he had developed and written this massively successful game but because he's a person of color there like he was immediately challenged on that like don't don't nerd check anybody this hobby is for everyone don't tell someone they're doing it wrong because they want to incorporate their lived experience this is for everyone Everyone should feel safe. Everyone should have fun. So don't... Don't be a dick. It's rule zero, and we all should know it. (laughs) The social contract is important. Exactly. So, okay. Well, uh, barring that uh, 
that time in the middle there where I had to rush out of here. Uh, this was a great conversation. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate having you on, and yeah, uh, I, I look forward to time. catching up on all my other podcasts so I can listen to Cracked Eye. We were going to start Age of Ashes ourselves uh, in one of my home groups, but the DM decided to do Extinction Curse instead. Uh, so oh, that's the one we're playing with my dad. So yeah, have fun yeah. with that too. It's, uh, yeah, we're. <laughs> Oh, I was I was joking that we you know, we we just played our first session, mm-hmm. you know. So all of our characters are finalized and ready to go, and then the ancestries and heritages came out. So <laughs> it's like, well, maybe my character will be a little foolhardy and might die, so I can make a sprite. Maybe not. I mean, I will totally say I didn't. You know, at you know, at level four, suddenly decide my little leshy was going to be a Venus flytrap, so I could take the the dumb fear, yeah. <laughs> flexible heritage. Because <laughs> why the hell not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so no, uh, uh, we hope hope to be able to have another conversation with you again at some point, or even more of you guys. Um, I, so far, it's always been a one-on-one conversations and. I think that probably works best, but we will see. I will stop rambling and say good night to everybody and thank you for coming on. Shield Bash is made in association with Knights of the Octagon and Farmageddon Gaming Convention. Find us online at shieldbash.net, on Facebook at Shield Bash, on Twitter at Bash Shield, and on YouTube at Shield Bash. Music by Lee Rosevere. Serpent Skull and Pathfinder are the property of Paizo Publishing Incorporated. Leave a comment on iTunes for a chance to hear us read it out on the podcast. Questions and comments can be sent to shieldbashpodcast at gmail.com.